Everyone has a study sheet, I hope. Acts chapter 18. We began our little summer mini-series last week talking about peculiar people. I have the definition down there for you guys, but again, it means to be particularly special or to be owned by someone else, as we've discussed many, many times here. When you made that decision to call upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, it wasn't just so that you can get out of the hell free card. It wasn't so you can just get a sanctified credit card to go ahead and go on a heathenistic shopping spree of just doing whatever you want because now you have a get out of hell free card. You can go to heaven when you die, so have at it. Enjoy your life now. No, that wasn't the point. The point when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were saying, Lord, you died to give me eternal life. Now, resurrect your son through me to live out his life throughout this vessel. That really is a, a viewpoint of salvation that is not talked about in most churches. And we really don't even kind of think about that concept as we go throughout our day-to-day -day lives. That our life, the Bible says, is not our own. We have been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus Christ, which we do not trample underfoot. We don't take lightly. We don't take it for granted. And it makes us a peculiar person. We belong to Him so that He can live out His life through us. So we've been looking just at, you know, again, coming off of camp, coming off of VBS, coming off the missions trip, getting ready to go back to school, getting ready for the missions conference, getting ready for whatever it is that God has for in store for us, especially with this new youth group having lost 12 seniors. What's the next steps for us? What, is it, what do we look like? What should we be involved in? So last week we, took, we looked at, uh, goodness, I'm drawing a blank, Timothy. And how Timothy was a peculiar person. The things that he did to become peculiar, to live his life as though it was not his own. Today I wanted to look at two people in the Bible, very, very unique. And their names are Aquila and Priscilla. Does this say part two on your outline or does it say part three? Okay, good. Mine's the only one that's outdated. I must have started on the new study sheet for next week. So Aquila and Priscilla, we're going to learn about them today. But before we dive into Acts chapter 18, where they first show up, can I get a volunteer to pray for us? Bueller. Bueller. well. All right, Benny, thank you for your willful volunteering. Go ahead. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we all come to church today and worship you and uh, learn from your word. I pray that you speak to your Corey and Pastor Tom and that you uh, just give us all something uh, to learn. I pray that you keep us safe the rest of the day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Acts chapter 18. Follow along with me in verses 1 and 2. Now, after these things, and we talked last week about how Paul, he had to leave from Thessalonica to go to, to Berea, and then from Berea he went to Athens, and there was this big to-do. He had this big open door, this opportunity where he got to preach Christ amongst the entire slew of lost people and heathens. And, of course, there was stirring up a controversy. There was stirring up opposition. And a reminder to those of you who are going back to school this week, you take your Bibles with you to school, you will experience opposition. Even if you don't take your Bible to school, you're going to experience opposition because you don't belong to your old father, the devil, as the book of Matthew and the book of John talks about. You belong to your heavenly father now. And your old father knows that, and he wants to desperately take you back and take you away from your new heavenly father to keep you defeated in your life so that you don't be a light in your schools. That's coming this week. Armor up. Opposition's coming. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to 
Corinth. Now, what do you guys know about Corinth? Yeah, the Corinthian church. What do you guys know about those letters? Anybody read either one of those books in a while? Yeah. What about 1 Corinthians? Yeah, pukey. Horrible church. In fact, it's the one church where Paul basically says nothing good about them other than the fact that, hey, at least you guys are saved. At least when you die, you have a get-out-of-hell-free card. And, yeah, you're kind of living as though you have a sanctified uh, credit card to just go on this heathenistic shopping spree that you can just do whatever you want, live your life your way. And that's the entire book of 1 Corinthians where he's just calling them out for their stupidity and for their carnal living. So he comes to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. So we see here right out the gate, Aquila and Priscilla, they're a husband and wife. But note this, why are they in Corinth? They were from Italy, but they're in Corinth. Look at the end of verse 2. Because that Claudius had commanded, he was the Caesar, the emperor at the time, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and Paul came unto them. So point one on your outline, letter A, tent makers, we'll see that in a little bit here. They were living in Corinth due to the immense persecution of Jews in Rome. Aquila was born in Pontus. He relocates to Italy in the Rome area, and then the Caesar in the area, he has this massive persecution against Jews. It didn't matter whether they were believing Jews. It didn't matter whether they or not they were unbelieving Jews. Jews have always been persecuted because ever since Genesis chapter 3, God promised that his seed, that his son would come through the lineage of the Jews. And ever since Genesis 3, verse 15, Satan has been countering, pounding the Jews left and right all throughout the Old Testament to try to stop that promised seed from coming into the world and paying the price for sin for all of mankind. That's why the entire Old Testament is nothing but one long battle in every single chapter. Nothing but opposition. Nothing but friction. Nothing but a battle. Doesn't matter whether they're believing or unbelieving or not. And mark it down, if you're a child of the king, you're going to get opposition. Don't let anything take you off guard this week when you head back to your classrooms. Don't let anything take you off guard this week. Even if it's not at school, maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's from your friends. Maybe it's from people within this room, God forbid. Opposition happens. We need to learn how to deal with it properly. And even though the details of the story don't really outline it, I wonder why is it that when persecution and opposition came to Aquila and Priscilla, they went to this city, Corinth. There's a slew of other places they could have gone. The Bible's kind of silent on it. Maybe it was the only option they had. Maybe they had family there. I don't know. But I know this. If times get tough in my life, the last place I want to be is surrounded by carnal people who are going to be worldly and are going to try to get me to go back in with them. Your worldly friends. Friends who don't value the things of the Bible. Who don't value your purity. Who don't, don't value morals. Who don't value what the Word of God says. That would be the last place I'd want to run to. 
if I'm experiencing persecution for my faith. So I wonder why they were there. Because when it comes to the world, when it comes to this world system, the Bible says in James 4.4, 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. That word enmity, it kind of means enemy, but it basically means it's division. They're not together. You can't be both a good, godly, Bible-believing Christian and be like the world. You can't live in both. The two don't mix. It's oil and water. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the what? It's on the screen. Let's spell it out together. And uh, enemy. Good job, Classy. I'm just getting you guys ready for Tuesday, Thursday. But note how he begins the verse. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. If you claim to know the king and you have a relationship with God, yet you are looking like, sounding like, living like the world, Jesus sees that as spiritual adultery. It'd be like, it's just so funny to me. You guys probably even see this in your classes. You know, you see like a couple, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and yet he's either flirting with every other girl that's in the hallway, either when she's around or when she's not around, or you have the girl who's with him, but she's dressed like a harlot. It's just weird. Like that relationship is just doomed to fail. It's never going to work out. It's the same thing with us. If we are with Christ, if we are espoused to him, but we're looking like, sounding like, and living like we are lost again, it's only a matter of time before that relationship breaks. And when you decide to be carnal, living in carnal Corinth of just a whole bunch of people who don't care about the things of the Lord, it's only a matter of time before you too become an enemy of God. I had Romans 8-7 on your passage, but I decided to give the verse before and after for context's sake. Romans 8-6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, thinking like the world, that's carnally. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The death he's talking about in the context of Romans chapter 8, he's talking about your spiritual walk with Christ. Once you enter into a relationship with Christ, you're saved. Your place, your seat is guaranteed in heaven according to Ephesians chapter 2. Just as good as though you're already there, even though you're still alive on this planet. He's talking here about the death of your walk with Christ, the death of your relationship, if you're carnally minded. Because, verse 7, the carnal mind is, there's that word again, enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So many people, so many churches today, this is one of the reasons, if you guys remember from our study of church history and Revelation a couple months back, this is why so many churches today are an absolute mess, because they try bringing in tactics of the world into the church. To try to win people over into the church, it's never going to work, because... The two are at odds with each other. They, it can't be. It, neither indeed can it be. They can't be subject to the law of God. Verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh, talking about a carnal Christian, note how it ends. You can't do what? You know another phrase for pleasing God? It means to glorify God. To glorify God, according to John chapter 15... It's our sole purpose for being Christians. 
to make God look good wherever we go. In your home, your, your friends, with your neighbors, with your schools. To make God look good. You cannot make God look good if you are living like this. And for whatever reasons, Aquila and Priscilla, when they're experiencing persecution, they flee to this place. The Bible's kind of silent on it, but I just know when it says that they went to Corinth, that's no coincidence that God would tell us exactly where they went. It's not good to be there. Watch where you run to. Watch who you run to when times start getting tough in your life. Look at verse 3 of chapter 18. And Paul, so he's, he's here, he meets Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth, and it says, and because he was of the same craft, so they had something in common here, he abode with them and wrought, he made, for by their occupation they were what? Tent makers. So here's where we learn how Paul helps support his own ministry. He had something in common with Aquila and Priscilla. What was it? They were both tent makers. They built tents together. And I love it. You might think that that's just a minor detail. Who on earth cares a lick at all about that? It really, like, doesn't really come up again in the New Testament as to what Paul did or why we even need to know it. Because if anything, there's more passages that talk about how churches supported Paul's need, which is the pattern of, of biblically speaking, of how a pastor or a missionary should be supported. But it's interesting that he mentions tent makers. They constructed and built up tents. Now, for those of you who've been a part of this youth ministry for a while before Heather and I even got in here, when you hear the word tent, does that ring a bell for any of you for something that was taught around this time last year? When you think about a tent in the Bible, tabernacle. The tabernacle in the Old Testament, it was this portable traveling device for lack of a better term and for sake of not going into it forever, it was the Old Testament church. It was where they went to be with God. It was where God himself physically indwelt, where the priests would go in and they'd camp out in the area. The priest would go in and he'd sacrifice and make the sacrifices for, uh, for himself, for the individuals, for the nation of Israel, all that stuff that's highlighted in the Old Testament. But the tabernacle was comprised of a tent. Exodus 36, 14, it says, And he made curtains of goat's hair. More on that in a little bit. Because again, why give that detail? Because every word of God is pure and every word matters. For the tent over the tabernacle, 11 curtains he made them. They were both tent makers. And a tent in the Bible has very special significance because in the Old Testament to the Jews, that was where the dwelling place of God was. This is very key because we're going somewhere with this. Number three. As I already kind of set the stage in the context for Aquila and Priscilla, it's not really known if they were saved before this meeting with Paul or as a result thereof, but we do know that Paul was with them for a good while. Look at verse 8. 
And Crispus, the chief ruler, after Paul goes and he preaches in the synagogue that's in the city, the chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. So there were a lot of people that were getting saved as a result of Paul going here. Jump down to verse 11. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. So not only did they get saved, but Paul stuck around and he discipled them. He set up deacons and pastors in that area, and he had them disciple, and he had them get plugged into the church, and had them reproduce and multiply and make disciple makers. For a year and six months he was there. So again, we don't know if Aquila and Priscilla were saved before then. We don't know if they were saved upon meeting and staying with Paul, or if it was a result afterwards of all these guys getting saved. One thing is for certain, though. Their lives were forever changed from this divine intervention, this divine meeting they had. Look at verse 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. And then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria and with him who? Priscilla and Aquila having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow. Whatever happened during that entire length of time, this godly couple was ready to go with him. They were ready to be on the move with him. Because you see, they weren't just tent makers but in letter B on your outline, they became disciple makers. Disciple makers. They grew, point one, in the word and became servant leaders. Jump down to verse 24, and can I get a reader from 24 to the end of the chapter? Kendall. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them, and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when, he, and when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. I love this passage. Now, if you're not careful, and I'm, I've tripped up on this when I was your guys' age too, but I'd read this passage and I'd hear about this guy named Apollos, and I'm like, man, what an awesome man of God said he was mighty in the scriptures and he was of eloquent speech. Surely this guy is saved. But then you keep reading and you see at the end of verse 25, it says that he only knew the baptism of John. The baptism of John is different from the baptism of Christ. The baptism of Christ is salvation. It's the moment where you place your faith and your trust in God or in Jesus Christ alone for what He did on the cross. And the Bible says at that time in Romans chapter 6 that when you call upon Him, that you die to yourself, your old wants, your old desires, your old fleshly way, and you are baptized into Christ. We're going to see a beautiful picture of that today this afternoon. Well, it's technically this morning, but by the time Pastor Tom gets done, it'll more likely be this afternoon. 
We're going to be baptized into Him spiritually at the moment of salvation. And we are raised to walk in newness of life because He places His Spirit in us. That's the baptism of Christ. That is discipleship. The baptism of John is Old Testament. It was before Christ came. It was not for salvation. Here is this guy, Apollos, preaching an Old Testament doctrine in the New Testament, and he's preaching heresy. But he didn't know it. This guy, for all intents and purposes, was lost. But yet he was mighty in the Scriptures. He was eloquent of speech. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. You can't fool yourself and you can't be fooled by others who follow that. And Aquila and Priscilla, they come and they hear him. And what does it say in the end of verse 26? What did they do? They took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. You know what they do? They don't just go out and just point their finger at him and say everything that he's doing wrong. No, it said they took him unto them. Maybe that means they pulled him aside. Maybe that means they welcomed him into their home. Because as we've already seen, as we're going to see, that's kind of their pattern of doing things. They're very hospitable. They love people. Maybe they brought him into their home and they were able to sit down over a table in a quiet place and go through the Word of God and explain the Gospel to them more perfectly. And there's nothing wrong with what we do with Harvest at all about planting seeds, about going out and engaging people in conversations. But sometimes, and I know you guys have seen it, the distractions of the friends that they're with, that person you're talking to one-on-one, -on -one, or the distractions of all the noise and the chaos going on, it doesn't necessarily give an inviting invitation for someone to get saved right then and there, at least genuinely. Maybe make a profession of faith, sure. When you guys get into conversations this week and in the weeks to come back at school, you see somebody who's this close, who's really, really invested and really interested in what salvation is or knowing, knowing more about what the Bible says. Take them unto you. Don't just stand there in the hallway with the four minutes that you have in between period or mod changes and try to lead them to Christ and have them pray to receive Him there. Take them unto you. Either after school, or it's just you guys, Invite them over to your house and sit down so that you can expound unto them the Word of God more perfectly. The way of God more perfectly. But here's a question and a challenge for you. If that were to come, would you be able to do it? Would you be able to expound, meaning to dive further, to actually go to passages and have them read the passages with their own eyes and see, okay, here's what the Bible says. Do you see how that's different than what you believed or what your church taught you or what you grew up thinking? Because this is what the Bible says. Expounding unto them. That's what they did. And when they did that, the guy realized his need for Christ and when he received Christ, he went out and started leading a whole slew of people to Christ. 
witnessing, preaching the gospel, and they got saved. And he was able to take the scriptures and mightily convince others. Do you guys want to see this youth group grow? Do you want to see this really become a full-fledged ministry where we are mightily convincing people we go to school with? Mightily convincing. Beyond a shadow of a doubt is what that means. We've got to be able to know how to expound in the Scriptures like they did. They grew in the Word and became servant leaders in point number one. And I can't help but think, yeah, in a way... This is what they've always been doing. What was their occupation? It's in letter A. Thank you. <laughs> tent makers. The tent comprised the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the dwelling place of God Himself. Nothing's really changed when you consider 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 4. Paul's writing, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands. Do you see here how he's not talking about a physical building church that people make with hands, bricks and mortar? He's talking about something different here eternal in the heavens. And he jumps down in verse 4 and says, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Uh, what is it that when you groan and you burdened, what is that making those noises and that, that feeling inside? Is it a building? No. It's your body. Because know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? The tabernacle was the temple, but on the move. He's making a connection between the Old Testament tabernacle and us. Because if you are in here and you're saved, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, dwells in you. And we are called tabernacles, tents. And we are called to be tent makers. To see other tabernacles become dwelling places for the Holy Spirit of God to permanently dwell and reside in. That's your job. You are Aquila and Priscilla. And it says they groan. They're burdened. They're burdened. People are burdened. Christians should be burdened to make other tabernacles. Romans 8.23, just hammering the detail even in further. He says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our what? Body. See, Paul's talking about here that, yes, even though my spirit, I am justified, my spirit is born again, I'm saved. That's permanent. My seed is, is guaranteed in heaven. 
He says, yeah, my soul, my soul, my thoughts, my mind, my emotions, my will, uh, that needs saved in a sense every single day from the world, from my flesh, from my lost friends and family. But man, that's sanctification, by the way. But one day, oh, one day, and I can't wait for this body to be saved when I have a redeemed body, a perfect body in heaven that will never sin against God again. Paul is saying that he groans for that day when this tabernacle is not just a temporary dwelling place on this earth anymore, but I will be in heaven face to face with God, face to face with my Lord, and my faith will be made sight. He's saying that, yes, even though I'm in this tabernacle, I can't wait to get out of here. Because I hate this world so much, because I hate my flesh so much, it causes me to lose sight and vision of my job to be a tent maker. Distracts me and pulls me away from all of that. Can you say you identify with Paul in that? Because even though I got all fired up about it, don't know if I'm quite there. I'm enjoying life right now. I love being here with you guys. If the rapture were to happen today, tomorrow, this week, I'd be like, oh, man, there's so much more I had planned to do. Things were getting good. Things were going excited. I was really enjoying this next series we're about ready to start. And uh. That doesn't mean life has to be all dour and sad for us and depressing. But for us to get our minds, the place where Paul was, where even though God is on the move, and hopefully if we're tabernacles, we're on the move with Him, going where He's going, we should be experiencing so much opposition that it should cause us to be like, Lord, please come back. I can't wait for you to come back. And this body will be never sin against you again. This brain will never think an impure thought against you again. This mouth will never say a curse against you again. I won't be in the situation that I find myself in again. I can't wait. Not only for that, but for you to get the glory that you deserve. That is what you and I should at least be striving for every single day. To get ourselves to that point where even though things are going good, Lord, I want you to come back so that you get what you deserve. Justice, vengeance, His throne, and people worshiping Him, bowing the knee, confessing Him all over. That's what He wants. And if His Spirit is inside of you, we should want that too. We should groan for it. And we should groan for it so much that it causes us to be like Aquila and Priscilla and become tent makers, disciple makers, where we get other tabernacles for the Holy Spirit to dwell in that are always on the move seeking other tabernacles. That's what they were. 
Not only that, in point number two, we see that they became Paul's close friends and co-laborers in the ministry. Turn over to Romans 16. One book to your right. Romans chapter 16. Can I get a reader for verses 3 and 4? Jack, go ahead. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So he says here in Romans, greet them. And he, he calls them my helpers in Christ Jesus. Well, how did they help him? Jack just read it in verse 4. For my life they laid down their own necks. I have 1 John 3.16 up here on the screen. Hopefully this looks familiar for you guys because we just looked at it. Well, granted, it was about a month and a half, two months ago. But you remember our study in Anoint Thine Eyes? Brotherly kindness, which should be added to our faith. A love for the people in this room. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the who? Brethren. Saved people. Do anything for the people in this room at the drop of a hat, without even thinking twice about it. Taking the bullet for somebody, even though that bullet was probably meant for them, you step in the way, like, I got this. Hereby perceive we the love of God. You want to know the love of God? There's a big talk about the love of God in churches today. The love of God, it's being willing to lay down your life for your friends in this very room. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. That means going beyond just Sundays and Wednesdays, reaching out to people and greeting people. That means picking up the phone, and whether in group me or in just a personal text, seeing how someone's doing. What's going on? How you been? Want to get together and just talk? Want to get a couple of us together? Remember what Christ said in John 14? Greater love hath no man than this, than a man what? Yeah, greater love. Don't tell me of brotherly kindness and that you have the love of God if you're not willing even just to pick up the phone and see how anybody else is doing. Can you claim this verse as your own? Do you talk to God about it if not? You know, the Bible says, uh, ye have not because ye ask not. If there's a prayer request, or if there's something in your life that you're wanting God to do for you, well, that verse in James, it says, you know, hey, maybe you don't have what you're asking for because you don't ask for it. And that's where me, I'm more likely to be like, well, yeah, but I started praying about it back then. And then it hits me, oh, wait, how consistent have I been in praying for that? Hmm. Maybe that's the reason why I don't have my peace about that, or that's the reason why that hasn't come to fruition the way I've been asking for it to. If you want to love God and you want to lay down your life for the brethren, but you're for some reason just getting pushback or it doesn't seem like it's happening for you, 
Have you been asking God for that consistently? And have you been consistently doing anything about it? If not, you have not because you ask not. It's funny. Uh, the other night, uh, we were out and about in town, and uh, I can't remember if we skipped Wyatt's nap that day or not, but he's still, it's hit and miss. Sometimes he's able to go good skipping his nap, other times he's not. But I just remember he was just particularly ornery. And like, even after I would tell him once, to stop doing something or do something, he would go right back into it. So he just kept getting cracked and spanked all day long. And uh, I remember just at the end, like he was just exhausted and just was melting down in his bed as we we're getting ready for night nights. And uh, as we were just talking with him and praying with him, he was just really distraught by like, I, I don't know why I, I keep going to the darkness and why I keep doing this, these things. And uh, I told him, I was like, buddy, how many times have I told you that when you're feeling drawn to disobey mommy and daddy, just stop and pray and ask Jesus for his help. Ask him for, your, for his help. Don't just do it during breakfast, lunch, and dinner right before you have your, your snack or your meal. Whenever you feel that. He's like, buddy, we've talked about that before, but I never hear you ask him. I'm like, yeah. My four-year-old doesn't get it, but neither do we sometimes. But see, Aquila and Priscilla got it. They were his helpers. They laid down their lives for him, and it was very, very valuable to Paul. Can you imagine? I, again, we're going to find out all this stuff in eternity, but just this is where, when you guys are reading your Bibles, you need to have that time where you just take a step back and think about these things for a little bit. That's a small, tiny little verse. It's a, it's a throwaway verse that's very easy for us to skip over when we're reading through Romans. Plus, by the time you get to chapter 16, it's a whole bunch of people, and you're like, is all the good stuff gone? Just kind of how it feels when you get to Romans. Hopefully that'll all change here in the months to come. But do you understand that had they not been helpers to him, how that might have hindered Paul's work? How that might have changed the entire landscape? of Paul's ministry, how we might not have certain books of the Bible because of that, had they not been helpers, had they not been people who just wrapped their arms around him, hugged him, loved on him, prayed for him, supported his ministry, went wherever they told him to go. You ever think, had they not been that person for him, how his life and ministry and work would have been completely and utterly different? We might not have certain books of the Bible. There might have been people that he came in contact with that wouldn't have gotten saved because maybe he was distraught over this right here. And had Aquila and Priscilla not come and got that thought off of his mind, he was now freed up to work and to serve and to lead people to saving faith in Christ. People's souls that you come in contact with are at stake. And you being a word of encouragement to somebody in here, might just mean someone at another school that you don't go to, someone at that school coming to receive Christ because you shared a word of encouragement with somebody in this room who goes to this school. You think God doesn't work that way? Of course He does. They were His friends, His co-laborers in the ministry. Point three. So much so that Paul trusted them to go to Ephesus to support 
Timothy. Support is your blank. Man, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we looked at that last week. Paul's last chapter before he got his head lopped off. And he closes that chapter out. One of his last words, the last people that he mentions, it's Aquila and Priscilla. And he tells Timothy to greet them, which means that they were there in Ephesus with Timothy, supporting the work. We talked about Timothy last week and how his life ended and how, man, he was probably this close to just chucking the ministry altogether because he probably couldn't stomach it. Maybe the reason why the story changed at the end and he ended up being martyred, going out swinging, is because they were there in Ephesus with him, helping him, supporting him. Man, we got to be faithful to the end. It says they were entrusted with the responsibility because of their faithfulness. Faithfulness was the key word last week. How you been? with your faithfulness this past week. If we want to support the work, if we want to support the ministry of what's going on here in Solid, we got to be faithful. Faithful to show up. Faithful to participate. Faithful to enact our vision and our mission statement. And faithful to talk it up. And to talk it up about things that don't matter, yeah, but heavily focusing on the things that do matter. That's what we got to be chatting it up about in our group chats. Number four, they supported a home church out of their house. We're already in Romans 16. Somebody read verse 5. Dustin. Likewise, greet the church that is their house. Salute my well-beloved. Try it. I'm not even going to attempt it. Try it. It's probably right. I don't even know. <laughs> Eponidas. There you go. Yeah, that sounds right. Who is the first fruits of a K.I. unto Christ? That was a little Brian Brown trick. He's like, hey, if you don't know it, just say it, but say it with confidence like you know that's what it is. No one's going to challenge you on it. But they had a church that was in their house. They supported the work. Now, this is something we've only looked at, and, and this is what's kind of neat, neat about them. They're not actually in the Bible all that much. We really just kind of hit all of it. Acts 18, uh, 1 Corinthians, Romans, that's about it. And 2 Timothy, yeah. They're not really in the Bible all that much, Aquila and Priscilla. But you realize that all the verses we've read and we've looked at, that it doesn't really say that Aquila ever became a pastor. He never became a missionary. Everything that we've just read, it indicates that they were no more than just lay leaders, as we call them. Helpers. He wasn't the pastor of this church. He didn't start this church. He housed it. He and, Aquil or he and Priscilla, they housed the people for their church. They were hospitable. They opened up their home so that others can worship and hear the word of God. And here's the point with this. And I want everyone to hear this. Not everyone in here is going to be called to be a pastor or a missionary or a pastor's wife or a missionary's wife. But that does not mean you are less valuable. That does not mean you are less importance to God. Because Aquila and Priscilla's names are in the Bible 
for all of eternity just because they were helpers. Just because they supported the work. And on a little bit more grounded level, do not compare yourself with any other former member of this youth group. Do not compare yourself with any current member of this youth group. Do not compare yourself with anyone else. Let God use you with the strengths He's gifted you with. Don't think about, well, I'm not like this person. I'm not like that person. I can't ever achieve to the spiritual status of so-and-so. You know, it's funny. If you look at a, a take a magnifying glass and hold it up to the spiritual significance of so-and-so, you might find a lot of warts in there and a lot of blemishes. Let God work and speak through you. And don't worry about anybody else. If He's just asking you to be a helper... We're seeing the evidence of how God made them peculiar because they realized that their tabernacle was not their own. It belonged to somebody else, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The churches of Asia, Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord. They had a heart for the people in Corinth. They were on the move. Their tabernacles were moving. It was a temporary dwelling place. They were on the move. But man, their heart for the people of Corinth was great. And they reached out to everyone. And they wanted people to know that they cared. Do you know everyone's name? Do you know who hasn't been here in a few weeks, few months? Do you know the state of them? Do you salute them throughout the week? Point number two, the application. Expounding more perfectly, just like they did. Letter A, turn over to Exodus chapter 35. This will be the last place we turn to. Actually, Andy, you had your hand up earlier. Would you mind holding your place here and flipping over to Acts 20.35? 20, yeah, and somebody else, while also holding your place in uh, Exodus 35, can I get a volunteer to go to 1 Thessalonians 5? AJ will. Thanks, Anderson. First, the, uh, we'll hold your place in Exodus, but then go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Letter A on your outline. What gifts and talents do you possess? See, Aquila and Priscilla, they were tent makers. And again, seems like nothing. Who cares? God cares because he put it in the Bible to give us a picture. So you might think your gifts and talents are worthless. God cares. He gave them to you. He wants to use them for his glory. What gifts and talents do you possess? Have you considered how God wants you to... Sorry, this was a typo on my part. The blank is faithfully, but the faithfully should have came before use them. Have you considered how God wants to faithfully use them? So maybe just draw some arrows so you don't get confused later. In the ministry. Oh, excuse me. How God wants you to use them faithfully in this ministry. Solid. 
This whole idea of the tabernacle and tents. <clears throat> Look at me in Exodus 35 and verse 4. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and huh, goat's hair. Goat's hair was used to make what? The tent of the tabernacle. And what is a goat? Again, you guys are going back to school. You're going to be asked this question this week. I'm sure of it. What's a goat? It is an animal. Okay, so that one's checked off. You can't use that one. It's a sheep. A sheep became the tabernacle for God to indwell. And He wants us to be tent makers. But we have to be of a willing heart to offer it over, to be a tent maker. Jump down to verse 25. Oh, I love it. And all the women that were wise-hearted because they were willing-hearted did spin with their hands. They were spinchers. They, not spinchers. That's a negative term, isn't it? What I'm meaning is they were spinning like weaving, like with the goat's hair. And they brought that which they had spun, both of blue and of purple and of scarlet. It's like the scarlet thread that saved the two spies in the book of Joshua from the harlot's house. That scarlet thread of the blood of Christ that runs all throughout the Bible. And they took that scarlet thread... And all the women whose heart stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. They were wise-hearted because they were willing-hearted because God gave them gifts to use their hands to build a tabernacle with some scarlet thread and some hair of some goats. It's what we're called to do. And we're women as evidenced last Sunday's main service message, we're the bride of Christ. Boys, when you read a verse like that, don't overlook it. It's like, oh, well, this only applies to the girls. No. That's the beautiful thing about Ephesians chapter 5. When you see something like that, devotional application, you're a bride of Christ if you're saved. God wants you to use your gifts and your talents to work with your hands to take the scarlet thread of the blood of His dear Son and weave it together, weave it, intermingle it, make it make sense to the goat's hair that you're working with at your schools and build some tabernacles. But you got to be wise and you have to be willing. So use the gifts God's already given you and start going to work this week. Become peculiar. Letter B. Are you capable of recognizing false doctrine and able to lead those ensnared therein in the way of God more perfectly? Hey, if Aquila and Priscilla didn't know their Bible and didn't know that what Apollos was preaching was false doctrine, that man probably would have went on to die and go to hell forever, and everybody else that he preached and supposedly gained converts at, they too would have gone to hell because they believed and received a false gospel. 
There are false gospels being preached everywhere. That's what makes this day and time the most perilous in all of human history, according to 2 Timothy 3. Many of your Christian friends at school, shot in the dark, believe a false doctrine. That is what the Bible calls a damnable heresy. That people in their churches, they believe that it's the blood of Christ plus my baptism. It's the blood of Christ plus me maintaining good works. Or it's the blood of Christ plus me speaking in tongues. Or it's the blood of Christ and me taking communion every single week. They add something to it and that is a false gospel. Do you know this book well enough to be able to sit down with somebody like, Hey, look, man, I get that you grew up at church believing this, but that's not what the Bible says. Have you studied to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed? Have you sanctified the Lord God in your hearts in 1 Peter 3.15, so that you are ready to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear? If you haven't sanctified the Lord God in your hearts, then you're probably going to be ashamed because you didn't study. We need to recognize false doctrine and we need to be able to, to lead those that are ensnared therein to the way of God more perfectly. And finally, if everyone provided the same level of support that I am, where would this ministry go? Uh, listen, I know... I gave you guys less blanks than usual, and you got your final blank in, and you're getting ready to pack up, but listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Ask yourself that question right now. If everyone provided the same level of support that I am, where would solid go? Meaning doesn't matter who you are, where you're at in your walk. If you were the student leader of this group and everyone served exactly like you, where would it go? Are you supporting the work? Are you supporting your brothers and sisters like Aquila and Priscilla did? You don't have to lead Bible studies. Maybe God's calling you to do that. Excellent. Amen. You can be helpers. You can be behind the scenes, not necessarily the upfront person. You can be behind the scenes working and encouraging each other, working and leading others to Christ, working and inviting friends to the church. Are you doing something is the point or nothing at all? Where would this ministry go? Andy, Acts 20. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Are you supporting this ministry? Are you giving of your time, your talent, and your treasures? Maybe it's just as simple as reaching out to someone throughout the week. 1 Thessalonians 5, AJ, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Warn them that are unruly, false doctrine, Quill and Priscilla. Support the weak, support your brothers and sisters who need it. That's how you'll be a peculiar person. That's how you will shine your marvelous light, like 1 Peter 2, 9 says at the bottom of your sheet. That's how you will shine your marvelous light in darkness as you head back to school this week. Let's pray.
Father, I want to thank you very much for this group of kids. And I do want to pray for them. This is big. I know we'll meet again for some of them on Wednesdays who haven't yet gone to school, but some others in here, they will have been at school. So I pray for them. I pray they take their Bibles with them that first day. They wouldn't put it in their book bags, that they wouldn't bury it underneath their other books. doesn't matter if they have time in study hall to read it or not. Let them take it. Let it be a testimony of a change that has gone on in their hearts this summer. With everything you've done from camp to VBS to Mexico and everything in between, discipleship meetings, Wednesdays and Sunday nights, encouraging talks, God, use them. Let them not quench anything in the Spirit. Let them not grieve the Spirit any longer. May we be supporting each other because we're all weak and we all need support. May we be helpers. May we be on the lookout for our brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ who need it. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.